In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ, with your host, Andy Anastasopoulos. Hey everybody, welcome to Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ. Today I'm coming at you from a sunny day, summer day in New Jersey. It feels like summer's almost over. Okay, the uh, air is crisp, it's a little chilly, has a little bit of tinges of fall. I don't know how everybody feels about that. You may have your summer people and not so summer people. I'm not really a summer person. Summer's cool, but it's not something that I live or die for. So I'm all about bringing about the fall. You know, I'm ready for my apple cider. What about you guys? Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to promote for you the Who's Your Daddy podcast. Every day, For all you Christians out there who are lovers of our faith, you can go ahead and check out a new podcast episode every day from different amazing contributors every day. So check it out at uh, historywithgod.org. As you know, my show is on Tuesdays as well, so you can check that out as well. Now, before we get started, I want to deal with a very, very sensitive subject today, okay? I have to give you guys an extreme disclaimer. Today, we're going to be talking about the crucifixion in detail. So for those of you who are listening now, I'm giving you forewarning. This is a tough and intense episode. There's going to probably be emotion, and it's going to be a little hard. I highly recommend that if you have little ones listening, maybe you should listen to this when they're not around. There's going to be some intense graphic uh, visuals that I will be describing. And I'm also going to go ahead and try to keep my emotions back as well because, you know, the bottom line is we are talking about the torture, humiliation of our Lord. And I know, and I'm not trying to make, you know, anybody feel bad about anything and that's not my intent. My intent is to to describe why we're talking about it, why it's important. Because when you go ahead and you say Jesus, you say, yeah, he was killed. I mean, people, naysayers, and, and, you know, even us, we could say, so what? Yeah, okay, he was a man, he was killed, so what? Yeah, he was crucified, so what? Yeah, he was tortured, so what? No, 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 we're going to explain to you why it's not so what and why it's important, okay? Like I said, it's going to be tough. I don't want to focus so much on this pain and misery and this anguish, but I feel I have to because we have to go ahead and we have to defend our faith and we have to say these are the reasons why we, we accept our Lord as Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And one of the reasons why is the crucifixion. And we have to go ahead and say to people, not scare them, not throw them off, not, gro- not gross them out, but to say to them, listen, if you understand why the crucifixion was so important, then you understand what, what, you know, what having a Savior means. You understand why, how we will have our own salvation. So let's get started. So, uh, first of all, the, um, the bleeding in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, as he was praying the night before his faithful day, began to sweat blood. And you can find this in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. This condition is known as hermatidrosis. It is associated with high degrees of stress in result of extreme anxiety. It causes the release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in the sweat glands. As a result, there are small traces of blood. 
This condition also makes the skin very sensitive. The next morning when he was flogged, which we'll get into later, or in a little bit, it will be easier to penetrate the skin. So this condition makes the skin very, very sensitive. Now, flogging and torture. Flogging was an extreme form of punishment by whipping the body savagely. A beating so barbarous that the shocks the conscious and a form of capital punishment so depraved that it stands as a wretched testimony to man's inhumanity towards one another. How fortunate are we to uh, we not live in Roman times, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, think about that. I'm sure you've heard me say this example before, but I actually just talked about this with one of you know my loved one recently, and we were talking, and I said to her, I'm like, and she actually said it. I think she might have said it too. She was like, imagine you're just chilling in Barnes & Noble, modern-day setting, obviously, and all of a sudden horses and soldiers just came bursting in, took everything, killed everybody, just like that. That's what it was like living in Roman times, everybody. They were savage barbarians. And I am so lucky, you know, th- literally thank God that we don't live in those times anymore. Thank God that we have a religion that preaches against that because it's funny. As you guys know, I'm a historian. I love history. It's been probably my greatest passion. And I read so many different topics and so many different movements throughout human history. And, you know, it just, wow, like, I don't understand people who are like, I wish I was in a different time period. No, you don't because you'd probably be dead. No, you don't because you probably would be enslaved. Another reason why his death was so important was because he set the stage of almost morality to a point we can put it in our courts and, and in our governments, all that kind of stuff. We have a constitution that protects our freedom of religion and speech and to protect ourselves. These kinds of things were, wasn't even possible in the Roman time. If the Romans had this, it was, this is our way, take it, leave it, and we're coming after you. So it's something to think about how lucky we really are. If you put all the bull crap aside and just focus on how lucky we truly are living and breathing in today's society, you know, it's just something to dwell on. I mean, I know I am. So yeah, we're very, very lucky to not live in Roman times. As much as I love studying the Romans, I have to go ahead and go ahead and categorize them as barbarians. I love them, but they're barbarians. I mean, let's be real. Moving on. The lashings consisted of 39 blows, but usually it was much more than that number. It depended on the mood of the Roman imply in the blows. I mean, I love it. I love it. First of all, 39 blows, which when I describe it to you guys right now, how insane, absolutely psychopathic this is. And first of all, 39, that's 39 too many if you ask me. And on top of that, on the mood of the butcher, it's based on the mood of the butcher Man, get out of here with that. You know, it's just like, it's just, it's frightening. It's just absolutely frightening. The Romans would use a whip of braided thongs with metal balls laced in. When the whip would strike the flesh, these small balls would cause deep bruises or contusions, which would rip open after repeated blows. The whips had small bones that were extremely sharp, which would cut the flesh severely. The back would be so shredded that part of the spine was sometimes exposed by the very deep cuts. The whipping would strike the back, shoulders, buttocks, and down the back of the legs. As the floggings continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Eusebius, a 3rd century historian, documents flogging by saying, the sufferer's veins were laid bare, and the very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victims were open to exposure. I mean, could you imagine that? I mean, you're literally being ripped open by beating, being beat. You know, I just, 
I'm sorry, guys. I, I think this is a little tough for me. I, I'm sure you as Christ followers feel the same way, but we have to go through it. We have to go through it. A beating like this could very well kill anyone who was victimized in this fashion. At the very least, this kind of torture would put someone in hypovolemic shot, which is a loss of large amounts of blood. The heart tried to pump blood that isn't there. Number two, the blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapse. Three, the kidneys stop producing urine to maintain that volume that is left. The person becomes very thirsty as the body craves fluids to replace the loss of, of blood volume. All that's happening as you're being whipped. In addition to being ripped over, open, that's what's also happening. The evidence in the gospel is pretty clear. Christ was in this condition as he staggered up the road for the execution site, carrying the horizontal beam of the cross. A man named Simon was ordered to help him carry the cross. Later we read that Christ said, I thirst, which a sip of vinegar was offered to him. So as you will see, there are some things that we know about through Christian uh, art or Christian literature uh, that, th- or even movies that certain things are not true. And it, and it's not, it's not a big deal, but for example, we see, we have depictions of Christ carrying a huge cross. That's, uh, that's pretty impossible. You know, people did not carry a whole cross on their shoulders. Odds are that they only carried the beam, uh, across, uh, across their chat, uh, across their shoulders. It was tied to their shoulders and they still had to walk. And that beam was at least a hundred pounds. So there's almost no way that um, a, a victim who was forced to carry his cross can carry an entire cross. In Christ's case, in our Lord's case, the uh, vertical part of the cross was already in the ground, which I'll get into in a minute. And he had to just carry the very heavy horizontal piece. Because of this beating, there was no question Jesus was in serious to critical condition, even before he was crucified. So we haven't gotten to the crucifixion yet. And and not only that, but imagine the horror that Christ had to go through prior to the crucifixion. The whipping itself, with all the blood and all the, the flesh being ripped and the, the heart going to hypovolemic shock, could have killed him, as I'm sure it would kill many people. But unfortunately, he faced more torture. Now, the crucifixion. It pains me to tell you this, my brothers and sisters, despite the brutalization we have already witnessed, we haven't even discussed the crucifixion yet. First, he would have been stripped naked. The Romans were akin to nakedness, and nakedness is part of the humiliation. Now, again, I know in our literature and our movies, obviously, you know, I don't know whatever, whatever the reason is, but Christ was not naked when he was crucified, but, you know, the historical sources say otherwise. Jesus would have been laid down and his hands would have been nailed in. The outstretched position to the horizontal beam. This crossbar called the patabellum and was separate from the vertical beam. The vertical was set into the ground already. The Romans used spikes that were five to seven inches long with a very sharp point. They were driven into the wrists. Although contemporary Christians art shows that Christ was crucified in the palms, in truth this was physically impossible. The weight of the body would have been torn right through the palms and off the cross. The impalement of the wrist was where the body would have locked the wrist into position. Part of the confusion of this hand position was that in those times, the wrist was considered part of the hand. Okay, so our Christian art, be it in books or on paintings or on, you know, the church walls or windows, uh, Christ was never crucified through 
to, uh, through the palms. Okay, it would his weight would never have been able to support. He would rip right off the cross. So he was crucified in the wrist, and it would lock the wrist right onto where it had to be. Further, the nails placed in the wrist would go through the median nerve. This is the largest nerve going out of the hand and would be severely crushed through impalement. The pain would have been like that of taking a pair of pliers and squeezing and crushing the nerve. In fact, the word excruciation was invented by unbearable pain by ways of the cross. If you look up the etymology, it comes from crux, which is uh, the Latin for crucifixion or cross. As Christ was fastened on the vertical beam of the cross, which was, which was about 10 feet high, his arms would ha- be outstretched and his shoulders would be dislocated by the weight of the body and vertical placement. Yeah, we're just going to go ahead and throw you on a cross and then you're going to get your shoulders dislocated. Above everything else, on top of that, you're going to get your shoulders dislocated. Reading this was hard because I struggle. I struggle with knowing our Lord and knowing what he did for us and have to sit here and read this. And to this day, people still mock and they still point the finger and they still ridicule and they still don't, they don't get why this is important. It just, I know I can't get frustrated, but it frustrates frustrates me, guys. It really does. I just... You know, it makes all this work more worth it. It makes all this work more important. And um, it's hard to sin now that I read stuff like this. You know, I was going to put a post on my Facebook today. I probably will still do it now. It says something along the lines of, if you knew what Christ did for you, would you still sin? And this is the the details as what he, uh, into what he did with for us. Now, his crucifixion also fulfills the Old Testament prophecy of Psalm 22, which states, My God, why have you forsaken me, and that my bones are out of joint? Once a person is hanging in the vertical position, the victim slowly dies of of asphyxiation. The stress on the diaphragm and muscles puts the body in the inhaled position. In order to exhale, the individual must step up on the footsteps so the muscles would be eased up for a little bit. During each step, the nails in the foot would dig into the tarsal bone. So, you're hanging there, crucified, already ripped to, to pieces, already. And now you're forced, with your shoulders broken, you are forced in the inhale position, okay? For you to exhale, you have to step up on a little pedal that was provided for you, but your, your feet are still uh, nailed together. So you can still stand, but your feet are crucified. And every time you push up to 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 uh, to breathe, you are slowly digging the nails into your into your feet, and it's slowly coming against the uh, the the nerve in the feet, which we'll get into. Further, the nails placed in the wrist could go through the median nerve. This is the largest nerve going out of the hand, and would be severely crushed through impalement. During each step, the nails in the foot would dig into the tarsal bone. Now, the tarsal bone is is probably the most sensitive part of the foot. After being able to exhale, the person would be able to take another breath in. Again, he would have to push himself up and also would scrape his already exposed back from the flogging up against the coarse wood of the cross. So your back's already ripped open from the unbearable, inhumane flogging that you took. You step onto the footstool to get a breath. Your your feet are being impaled, and you're digging your back into a wooden cross. There's no there's no reinforcement on the cross. It's straight up wood, 
and they're always and you're always obviously I bet it's splintered up. Even if they sand it down, I mean, we're talking about coarse wood against lacerated, ripped open, cut to pieces flesh. I mean, can you guys just imagine that? I mean, imagine it for a minute. I know it's tough, but it has to be said. I'm sorry, it has to be said. This would go on and on until exhaustion would take over and the crucified could no longer muster up the strength to push up and breathe. As Christ slows down his breathing, he goes into what is called respiratory acidosis. The carbon dioxide in the blood is dissolved as carbonic acid causing acidity of the blood to increase, leading to the heart having an irregular heartbeat. In fact, Jesus would have known he was at the moment of death, to which he replied to God, In your hands I command my spirit. Then he would have died from cardiac arrest. Before Christ's death, the hypovolemic shock would have contributed to a rapid heart rate which would lead to heart failure and would have collected fluid around the heart. This is known as a pericardial effusion, and the fluid around the lungs is known as the pleural effusion. This is very important because the Gospel of John documents that when Roman soldiers checked to see if Christ was dead, he thrusted a spear into his ribs, piercing the lung and heart, which would have produced blood and water. There's no way John would have known why blood and water was present in the piercing of Christ's side. However, John did document the phenomena as he saw it, and is consistent with modern medical knowledge. And you can find this in John chapter 19, verse 34. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize if it was too intense for you, if it was squeamish. You know, but like I said, you know, we need to say these things. You know, we need to to keep this in mind for our own salvation. And we need to use this in a way to speak to unbelievers, to say to them, you know, whether we want to engage in conversation, whether we want to debate, whether whatever we want to do, there is a level of we have to not guilt them, but remind them that the, cru- the crucifixion was so important because of what happened to him and then what happened afterward. If you understand the crucifixion in the context of physical, as in what happened to him, and spiritual, as in our salvation, that is going to be how you preach the gospel to people. Okay, because moving forward now, probably next week and the week week after that episode is going to be the aftermath of the crucifixion. Okay, what happened moving forward? How did Christianity survive? I will be covering a lot of Christian history. And, you know, today is the starting point of moving forward in that direction. But we have to understand the crucifixion, why it's important on so many different levels and how it was taken after the crucifixion because we need to understand how the christianity survive you know how did it survive how was it not wiped out i'm sure i'm sure there was a very there was a lot of effort to do such a thing but how did it survive you know josephus says, says to us in his annals in his um in his writings that you know the people of christianity still are not extinct to this day and why is that i want to know the reasons as to why that is that's what we're going to discover, and that's what we're going to research. A lot of it has to do with the fact of, again, the crucifixion and the promised salvation afterward. And that's what we're going to get into in the next coming weeks. Anyway, thanks so much for listening this week. Um, I hope it wasn't too intense with you, but I, you know, when it comes to defending our faith, there's this weird, hippie, passive Jesus that people like to tote around. And if I'm offending Christian, certain Christians right now by saying that, I'm sorry. But... There needs to be a level of 
we have to read the word as it was written, read what Christ said, and we have to apply it. And if it goes ahead and rustles some people's feathers, then that's what has to happen because Christ and his salvation is not hindered or not based upon your comfort your comfort zone. If you're too comfortable as a com- as a Christian, you need to you need to fix that and you need to realize that you know when Christ says take your cross and follow me, you will be persecuted. You better believe that's what he meant and you better believe that's what he was what he was saying, okay? Because that is what's happening and that was going to happen, okay? Because we have the authority of truth. And if you have the authority of truth, you're always going to create enemies whether they're right or I mean whether they're wrong or whatever the case may be. So keep that in mind. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish with this show. I want to give you just the facts, ma'am, just the facts, laced in with our with our faith. And I'm not pulling any punches. So understand that moving forward. So if you want to go ahead and reach out to me, you can go ahead and check me out at logospodcast.com. On Instagram, I'm at Spartan Studios LLC. And on Facebook, you can catch me at Logos Podcast. There are many, many ways to reach me. Please go ahead and email me. Ask me questions if you want. If you can ask me a question that involves either historical Christianity, Christian apologetics, both in between, uh, I will definitely uh, do the research for you, and we can go ahead and hit that up on the next episode. All right. I will catch you next week. Spartan signing out. You've been listening to the Logos Podcast with Andy Anastasopoulos. Visit us online at logospodcast.com and leave a message for Andy to be included in upcoming episodes. The Logos Podcast is part of the Who's Your Daddy Podcast Network and is produced by A History With God Ministries, ahistorywithgod.org.